Welcome. It's great to spend some time with you. We're continuing our series called Prequel, uh, which is the story behind the story. We all know the story of Christmas. We're going to be talking about those things in the Old Testament that make the Christmas story even more rich for us today. I want to first of all just commend you for making time in your week, you know, to, to be here or to be watching online. It's just essential, and I think it's, a, it's mission critical that you keep God strong in your life. It will change your ability to handle the, the struggles and the demands of life, and, and there's no way of getting around that. We live in a fallen world. It will also uh, give your life meaning and make a difference in your relationships, and ultimately, I believe, even make a difference in our society. So I commend you for being here or for making time uh, to do this. Obviously, the majority of people in our society, in our world, do not do that. So good on you, and I pray that you are blessed by this. You know, in our teaching, uh, we don't want to just give you more information about the Bible. We believe that the information that's contained in the Bible and the stories contained in the Bible are for our benefit to make a difference in our life. And that's always my goal as I sit before you or stand before you and, and try to teach. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, uh, fulfill your promise and, and through your word impart your truth. Not just knowledge, not just wisdom, but, but truth that is life-altering or life-affirming and life-changing and uh, life-enabling. Lord, we need all of those things uh, to manage well. Even those of us who are blessed and especially those of us who struggle, what one of us does not need you in our life. So Lord, come in a mighty way according to your promise through your Holy Spirit to equip us for this thing called life that we might live our life to your glory, to our benefit and to the benefit of the world in which we live. We ask it in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, the series is called Prequel and Prequel imagines, you know, the story behind the story. It's most often used in films where a film will come out and you say, wow, that was an interesting film. You know, I wonder what led up to that moment when the film kicked off and, and uh, producers of films say, ah, there's a money-making opportunity. And so they'll go back and they'll fill in the backstory for you. Well, that's what we're doing with Prequel. We're talking about a story that you know, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And, and what is this Old Testament and, and how does it enrich our understanding of the purpose for the coming of a Savior Jesus? How can that make the story that we know even more rich it, it, it's not just something that you should be curious about and we don't tell you these stories only to uh, you know uh, make you better bible students they are essential really to identifying jesus as the only possible messiah because those old testament prophecies and those old testament uh, uh, symbols uh, really identify Jesus as the only possible person who could have been the Savior. Let me just give you a quick for instance. There's a scripture that you all know from Micah that says, Oh, you Bethlehem Ephrathah, too least in the clans to be considered a tribe. Out of you will come forth one who will rule the world. You know, that's from Micah chapter 5. And we say, okay, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And that promise was fulfilled, so he's the Savior. Well, there were other people born in Bethlehem. How does that make him the Savior? But there are other scriptures like Isaiah chapter 9 that says, And you, Zebulun, in the tribe of Naphtali, out of Galilee, which was also that region of the country, will come forth a light that will enlighten the whole world. So which is it, Bethlehem or Galilee? And then there's Hosea 11 that says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. <laughs> These are confusing and complicated. 
And yet we know in the narrative that Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. No one else fulfilled them. His folks came out of Galilee. He was actually raised in Galilee. But because of the taxation situation, they were forced to go to Bethlehem where he was born. But because of the threat on his life by King Herod who sought to put him to death, his folks fled to Egypt and then came out of Egypt into Galilee. You know, out of Galilee, born in Bethlehem, out of Egypt. And that's just the beginning of all the complexity of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, I believe, is mission critical to really understanding and identifying the purpose, the mission, and even the identity of Jesus as the Savior. Now, when I say something is mission critical, let me just uh, provide uh, an illustration, an opportunity uh, to break it down a little bit so that I can understand it. Uh, this is our home in the center there. It, it's, it's a new home. We, we just completed construction. We just moved in this fall. And uh, if you've been here longer than five years, you know that, that Steve and Carol have owned a number of homes. In, in fact, uh, eight or nine, we were just debating over there how many actually we have owned. We haven't lived in all of them. But we have bought and uh, rehabbed and sold homes as kind of a, a sideline, a side hobby for us. And, and so we decided we'd rehab this home. Actually, we decided we'd tear this home down. It was about 900 square feet. It was uh, just on cinder block. It was full mold. And, and so we tore it down because we loved the lot. We loved the location and the trees on the lot. It was just gorgeous. And, and so we tore that house down and we built this house. And uh, we're very, very grateful to be living there. We feel so blessed. And then this is the point of my message today. This is the oven that is in our house. Mission critical. Remember that thought. You see, we've had gas cooktops before, and we kind of grew accustomed to that. We kind of like the use of gas for cooking, uh, but we've never had a gas oven before, and so this was a new experience for us. This is a gas oven and a gas cooktop, a range that is pushed into the, into the um, wall there. And don't you like the backsplash that I did? It's here for the backsplash. I'm going to take it where I can get it, Carol. And... Uh, and, and, and so we had this oven, and, and we were going to have a little dedication. We just had a few couples over uh, to dedicate and pray room by room for our house and, and to dedicate it to the Lord. And in fact, we had our kids come over, and we wrote scriptures on the studs before we put the drywall up and everything, just, you know, really dedicating this house to the Lord. And, and uh, uh, so we had some folks coming over, and Carol wanted to cook for them. And, and so she put a brisket in and some other things that she was preparing. And she said, there's something wrong with the oven, Steve. I, I can't figure it out. It won't go above uh, 288. And I said, well, here, let me do it. And so I came over and, and uh, I said, you're right. I can't get it to work either. So uh, just cook it longer. Just cook it longer. <laughs> and so she said, okay, we'll do that. And, and uh, I think the recipe called for, I don't know, maybe an hour, you know, or so. And uh, after about 10 minutes, the thing began to smoke. And uh, I said, I, th I think our food is done. You know, we should probably take it out. And uh, it was like, it was like, a burnt offering. I mean, it was done. It was done. And uh, after a couple of other times of, of doing this and not being quite confused about it, you know, we said, there's something quite not right about this. And, and, uh, and, and I said, but look at all the other wonderful things in our house that we have. You know, can we just overlook this? You know, and she said, no, this is mission critical. This is, we're not going to overlook this. You're an idiot. We're not going to overlook this. And, and, and so I did some Googling and I figured out that 288 is actually... Uh, Celsius, and in Fahrenheit, that's like 550 degrees. <laughs> Our oven was set for Celsius. And, and so, uh, so I said, well, here's what I'll do for you, Carol, because I love you. I'll, uh, I'll develop a conversion chart and post it 
on the oven hood, and then you can just you can do the conversion for whatever your temperatures are. She says, I'm not doing that. You gotta figure out how to fix this oven. So I Googled and Googled and Googled, couldn't figure it out until finally we went back to the manufacturer and he says, You're an idiot, here's how you do it. And so then I, I was able to come back and thankfully now our oven is set for, for Fahrenheit. It's mission critical. You can have every other thing right in your house, but if you don't have an oven, let me tell you, your wife is not gonna be satisfied, nor should she be. And, and this is another example of mission critical. Uh, every every uh, October, late uh, November, uh, late October, November, uh, I go out to Idaho and, uh, and Carol spends time with the kids and Josh and I, this is my son Joshua, our son Joshua, our oldest son, uh, we go up into the mountains to hunt and we carry everything on our back. And uh, we live at a pretty high elevation. It gets really cold. It gets down to zero or below zero. And, and uh, this year he... Uh, also invited our oldest granddaughter, Brooke, to come along. Notice that she is carrying nothing. <laughs> but uh, the very fact that she could climb up in there was pretty amazing because we, we walk, you know, five to ten miles away from our truck that's parked 20-some miles away from the nearest light bulb, and we live up there. Now, these tents are, are interesting to me. They're like paper thin, but they're high-tech. They're four-season tents, and they are so airtight that no air comes in them and uh, your body heat serves as an oven, speaking of ovens, you know, and it makes it livable in there. In fact, they are so uh, well insulated, even though they only weigh about two pounds, that you have to actually vent them uh, in order that uh, some air actually escapes from inside. Otherwise, it just condenses water. You know, mission critical to living up here, you could not live up here. You could not do these things if you did not have a good pair of boots. I'm telling you, you have to have a good pair of boots, and you have to spend some money to do that. You also have to have the right kind of clothes, you know, Arctic clothes. You also have to have a good sleeping bag. You have to be able to filter water. You have to be able to build fire. You have to have a tent, or you will not survive those conditions. But if you have those things, you can survive quite well. Those things are mission critical. What's mission critical? Mission critical is that thing that is essential to your survival or at least essential to your well-being. Mission critical. Now there are other things that help, other things that are nice, but they're not mission critical. Certain things are mission critical. Having God in your life, it's not my opinion, it's absolutely true, is mission critical. Just mission critical. If you want to have what God wants for you to have in life, you're watching online or you're listening to this later god must be in that life if he is not your life will not be what jesus intended you know he said in john chapter 10 uh, verse 10 i have come that you might have life and have it to the full god comes into our life so that we might just not have life a lot of people have a life but he wants you to have a full and a rich life and a life that leads also to eternal life and this is not just a new testament concept in fact, in the Old Testament, you'll find this passage said in kind of a contrary way. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But blessed is the one who heeds the wisdom of God's instruction. You know, with there is no vision, a lot of leadership books will translate that passage and they won't quote the Bible. They'll say, the ancients have said where there is no vision, the people perish. And they say, therefore, you need a strategic plan. You need a preferred future. You know, you need a, a vision. And that's not the kind of vision he's talking about. It actually means if there is no presence of God's wisdom in your life, people will perish. You will not have the fullness of life that God intends for you to have. And this is what God has always been about. 
In fact, even at creation, and I'm going to bust through some scriptures here because we're talking prequel. We're talking about what happened in the Old Testament that found its fulfillment in Christ and still has uh, a point of value in our life. Uh, even in the Old Testament, it says in the creation account in Genesis chapter 2, it says the man Adam and his wife Eve heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You know, that is the very definition of paradise. To have fellowship with God. If this relationship is right, if the vertical relationship is strong, then the horizontal relationships, the lesser relationships, have a chance. If this relationship is amiss, it's going to be really hard because people are fickled. I am, you are. It's really hard to maintain these relationships. This is the this is the, the point of uh, reference by which all other points find their meaning. You know, he said, you know, I will be with you. And he was with them until sin came into the world. And then God could no longer, who was perfect, live with people who were sinful, who had disobeyed him. And so they had to be removed from his presence because, you know, righteousness can have no fellowship with unrighteousness. And and to be in the presence of God without having your sins washed away, without having your sins removed, uh, would be certain death for all people. And so God, unfortunately, had to create separation between himself and his people. But he said, I know that it's mission critical that you still have a relationship with me. And so through the patriarchs, he spoke. And the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they shared with the rest of the world the truth about the nature of God. Job is also an example of a patriarch who had this conversation with God. And, and, and so God existed in the world through the patriarchs. And then after the patriarchal period, when Moses went to bring God's people back to the land that Abraham was shown, back to uh, Palestine, and brought them out of Egypt, God knew that they would still need him in their presence. And so God led them in miraculous ways out of Egypt. And then he existed in their midst. You talk about symbolism. You talk about comfort. You talk about reassurance. You talk about faith building. God moved with them as a pillar of fire over the tabernacle, as you see here on our illustration, uh, during the night. Can you imagine, you know, walking with your children through the camp at night and seeing the pillar of fire over the tabernacle? And what's that, Dad? That's God's presence, you know, in our midst. Or a pillar of cloud by day. And here's what the scripture uh, says describing that 40-year period. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. Who's going to go on a trip without God? But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. You know, they knew the necessity of God's presence in their life. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day. And the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. I mean, that was literally the presence of God in their midst and how essential that was to their well-being. It was also that way later when David collected all the things and, and then Solomon, his son, was given the privilege of building a temple to God, which was fashioned after the tabernacle. And at the dedication prayer of Solomon, we are told that uh, the Spirit of God came down upon the temple and it was so intense that the people could not enter it. And in answer to Solomon's prayer, God said, I have placed my name in this place, Jerusalem. And if my people who are called by my name turn and pray to me in this place where I am, I will hear their prayer and I will bless their life. 
And so the temple continued until it was, of course, destroyed. This was all a prequel to the great coming of God into the world in the form of his Savior, Jesus. In fact, there's a passage in Colossians chapter 2 that says, Let no one act as your judge as to what you do on a new moon, uh, a, a feast day, or the Sabbath. For these things were just a shadow, a symbol of what was to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus. These things served their purpose, and they reminded you of the importance of God in your life until God came and lived among you. Now, we know the story, but do you know the story behind the story? This is a, a picture of an angel appearing to Joseph. You know, Joseph and Mary were living up in Galilee, out of Uz, Zebulun, Naphtali, in the region of Galilee. An angel appeared to Mary there, a, a nobody, somebody very, very far from the holy city of Jerusalem, but known to God, all of us are known to God. An angel came to her and said, Mary, it's time for the Savior to be born, and I've chosen you. God has chosen you to be the mother of that child. And even now, uh, your kinswoman, Elizabeth, in the hill country, is nine months pregnant with the one who will go before your son to prepare the nation for his coming. And we are told that Mary uh, got up quickly after that message. She believed, and, and she went to help Elizabeth for three months until the child was born. And then she returned, and she said, Joseph, I have awesome news. I'm going to be a mother. Joseph said, I don't think that's such awesome news. We haven't been together for three months, certainly not my child. Now, in Jewish tradition, the engagement lasted a year to make sure that any child born in the relationship was only born to the man that was the woman's husband. And so they were in that engagement period when this news was broken by Mary to her betrothed Joseph. And Joseph was perplexed as to what to do. And, and, and he, he knew the Jewish law said that if a woman became pregnant outside of marriage, she should be stoned. In order to protect her from this judgment of her village, Joseph was going to quietly dismiss her and leave the relationship, not make a public deal out of it. And this is what he decided to do because he could simply not believe her story. And while he was sleeping, an angel appeared to him, and this is what the angel said to him. All of this has taken place, Joseph, to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah. A virgin, Joseph, a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. And they will rightfully call him Emmanuel, God with us. You know, God again in the midst of his people. This is what Jesus was for us, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, God with us. He came on a mission critical to bring about the salvation of all people. And, and that he accomplished through the cross and through the empty tomb and his ascension. But he also came to reveal the very nature of God in all of his relationships and all of his conversations, both with people who were religious, people who were irreligious, people who had needs, people who needed compassion, people that were uh, unfit for the religious structures that existed. Jesus showed God's real attitude towards everyone. He was God with us. And in the interaction of Jesus, these stories aren't just cute little stories for us to remember they reveal the very nature of God because he was Emmanuel, God with us. I like the way John describes it in chapter 1. He doesn't tell us the narrative, you know, that angels spoke to the shepherds or, you know, you will find him lying in the straw. You know, no, he, he just tells us the purpose behind Christ's coming, a totally different perspective on the birth. He says, the word became flesh 
You know, all of God's prophetic utterances in the Old Testament have now been solidified in the flesh in this person. The word became flesh and made his dwelling, his tabernacle with us. You know, God again with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. God with us. Now we know that Jesus physically left the earth. You know, after his uh, death, his resurrection, and uh, 40 days on earth, and then his ascension. But before he left, he reminded them that he would still be present in the world in our life. And also through you, be present in society. That it would make a difference in your life to have God's presence in your life. And without him, mission critical, you will not have fullness of life which God intends for you. On that day of his ascension, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Help everybody to understand the mission critical element of having God in their life. Baptize them in the name of the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you have not been baptized, please, I welcome you to come forward talk to me. It's not just for children, it's for all of us to be baptized. Be baptized, have your sins washed away, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded them, not to please God. You've already been made pleasing through the forgiveness of sins that comes by faith, but because this is the best way to live. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely don't forget this, I will be with you always. I will tabernacle in your midst until the end of the age. In fact, Jesus said earlier, where two or more of you are gathered, I am in their midst. And he is here even now. God's presence is still mission critical. But don't take my word for it. In fact, you don't even have to take uh, the Pope's word for it. You don't have to take any Christian leader's word for it. Uh, you can go to no less a place than Harvard and, and talk to a professor who's in charge of a graduate school for economics. And, and you can hear how mission critical God is in our society, uh, especially as it, as it was revealed in a discussion that he had with a, a communist economist from China who took part in a Fulbright, a Fulbright scholarship. Watch the conversation. Some time ago, I had a conversation with a Marxist economist from China. He was coming to the end of a Fulbright fellowship here in Boston. And I asked him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected. And without any hesitation, he said, yeah, I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. The reason why democracy works, he said, is not because the government was designed to oversee what everybody does, but rather democracy works because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. And in your past, most Americans attended a church or a synagogue every week, and they were taught there by people who they respected. My friend went on to say that Americans followed these rules because they had come to believe that they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. My Chinese friend heightened a vague but nagging concern I've harbored inside that as religion loses its influence over the lives of Americans, what will happen to our democracy? Where are the institutions that are going to teach the next generation of Americans that they too need to voluntarily choose to obey the laws. Because if you take away religion, you can't hire enough police. You know, what will become of democracy 
if religion loses its influence. Now, I'm not suggesting these are spiritual guys. I don't know where that Harvard professor stands with Christ. Certainly, I know where that communist uh, economist from China stands with God. That wasn't the issue. He was just saying, you know, it's not because you are being watched and forced to obey that you obey that makes America great. It's because, you know, in your churches and synagogue, you have been taught respect. And that's incredible. We don't have that in our country. And I think that's the, the pillar of what makes this place great, makes this place function. But I worry for you when I see God disappearing from importance in your nation and in your country. It doesn't have to be that way. But think about what these words mean. If you were to say there is a place that is God forsaken, is that where you would want to live? Is that where you would want to move to a God-forsaken place? I mean, you maybe have heard that term not often because it's reserved for the most horrendous possible place that you might have experienced. That was God-forsaken. You know, God wasn't present there. It's not a place where things go well. Or what about a, a godless person? A person who is godless. When you say that about a person, they are simply godless. It means they lack any kind of moral... Uh, fiber that they they lack, it, they lack any kind of stability you know they are godless to be a godless person or a godless society is is not something we want in our life except to be a witness to those things and, and yet if you uh listen to society and, and and to what's going on in our nation it's almost as though that's the preferred status that we be a godless nation you know that that we not allow god in our schools at all that we not allow God in our greetings, that we say happy holidays, you know, and not realizing that means holy days, by the way, you know, or we not say Merry Christmas. I hope that you're still doing that. And, and, and you just got to see that Jesus said, I'm sending you to be me. Jesus with skin and bones on, you know, you know the truth, you know your Savior, but if you hide your faith, in your relationships and in your life, then God's presence, you know, that pillar of fire, that pillar of cloud is lacking in our world. You know, if in your visits to your family, your children and your parents, and, and uh, you know, they are uh, at least far from God, if not godless, and, and not inclined to go to worship, and, and you don't want to offend, and that's been your practice, and, and you yourself don't worship because that would make them feel bad, then you've removed your witness from them. You know, it's very easy to say, I love you guys, catch you for lunch, we're going to church. You don't have to make them feel bad, but just this is a value for me, I won't sacrifice this. I sit down at your table, you don't pray, but I'm going to pray, because this is a value for me. And, and, and so my faith is seen because I won't compromise that which is important to me. And if I do, I, I lack the very purpose that God has placed me in the world to, to be his witness. And when you think about uh, the fact that we live in a, in a growing, you know, God-irrelevant, uh, irreverent kind of condition. You say, well, what can I do about that? You can do a great deal about that. And unfortunately, uh, you know, a lot of Christians uh, believe that they are doing God a favor by being faithful in worship. In the past, uh, people used to call already in November and want to know our preaching schedule or our our worship schedule because they wanted to organize their family events around opportunities for worship and uh, i run the danger of plowing too close to the corn you know at this point 
because this may speak to you. Uh, that when your celebration of your family get-togethers is more important than your celebration of the reason for your family get-togethers, which is Christmas, something is wrong. Something is misplaced in your homes. You know, this should be primary. It's amazing we make sure our kids get the very best education they could possibly get. Do we make sure that they get the very best Christian education, that they're surrounded, that they don't miss those opportunities to grow in Christian faith? We spare no expense when it comes to their athletic prowess and being exposed to the, the right team. You know, we work hard at that. Do you work as hard at that, making sure that they're exposed to the right Christian leader, that they have the right Christian examples in their life? And they are connected to things that will help them grow. If Christ is mission critical, and I believe that he is, it will change the world around us. One day the mission will be accomplished. I, I love the way heaven is described. It, it's actually described almost as the Garden of Eden existence. It, it's a full circle return. The Garden of Eden was paradise. We often call heaven paradise. Here's how the Bible describes it. Kind of fascinating because uh, the main descriptor is that we live with God and he lives with us. It could happen even now. It doesn't have to only happen in heaven. It doesn't have to only happen in the Garden of Eden. But this is where we're headed, where it will be perfectly described. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. This is where we're headed, folks. This is eternal life, coming down out of heaven from God. I don't know. It's, it's kind of like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That's what heaven's going to be like. You know, it's quite a day. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is heaven, God's dwelling place. Actually, the word is literally tabernacle there god's tabernacle is now again among his people and he will dwell with them and they will dwell with him and god himself will be with them and they will be his god why wait why wait for that day why not increase the presence of god in your life now maximize the opportunities to worship maximize the opportunity for devotion you know maximize the opportunity for your children to be exposed instead of saying you know it's almost this millennialist view, uh, um, uh, speaking of a generation of people, where you get a participation ribbon and everybody's all the same. Is that enough? Is it enough to be better than your neighbor as though you're doing God some kind of a favor by being faithful? It's God who wants to do you the favor. It's God who wants to be more important in your life so that you realize he wants you to have life to the full, mission critical. Mission critical. What if God's presence were mission critical for you? How would your life change if you said, you know, this is primary, you know. It's not enough that we have the garage, the shower, uh, the flat screen TV. The oven doesn't work. You know, it's, it's got it's to be figured out because this is mission critical. If that's not right, it doesn't matter what else is right. And if this isn't right in your life, then now's the time to do something about it. Now's the time to make a course correction. God doesn't care so much about your past as he does your present and your future. There's, there's an old saying that if God seems far away, guess who moved? He didn't move away from you. He wants to be more prominent in your life, not less prominent in your life. And when that is right, then family will be right. When this relationship is right, then this relationship will work. Work will be right. It doesn't mean that your boss and everybody in your business is suddenly going to become Christian. But you'll be able to navigate because this 
relationship gives you wisdom, you'll be able to navigate even those situations that are not perfect. Health will be better. Mental health will be better. Personal worth will be without question because he is mission critical. And when you understand the presence of God in the Old Testament, the coming of Christ, the promise to be with us always, the ultimate destination when God will again walk among us, then why would we not maximize his presence even now? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that uh, you have revealed through your scripture a consistency. Your desire to, to be almost in the Garden of Eden existence where you move in our day, in the cool of our day, when we have a moment to reflect, you are there. And, and you as a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud tabernacle lived in the heart of your people. So live in our homes, Lord, uh, if not uh, in such an incredible, miraculous way. Help us and help everybody else to see it. This home is different because God lives here. God dwells here. Mission critical. Lord, we confess our past. We confess that we have often uh, made other things more mission critical. And we know that those may enhance life, but they're not essential to life. You are essential. Help us to show by our time, by our efforts and our attention, uh, the value that you have in our life. And, and thus demonstrate to ourselves and to others that mission critical understanding of your value in this place. Lord, bless us to that end, we pray in Christ. Amen.